Folks, if you have your Bible there, please do turn with me to Mark chapter 7. We're continuing our series in Mark's Gospel, and we've seen Jesus do many wonderful things, many miraculous things. He's, he's fed thousands of people with very little food. He's walked on water. He's healed much sickness. But then we come to a section where Jesus is going to enter into some teaching. We've not seen a, a huge amount of teaching from Jesus in the last few chapters. And so in chapter 7, Mark turns again to the teaching ministry of Jesus. And we'll start reading at verse 1 of Mark 7. As we read, we remember this is God's word. Then the Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to him, having come from Jerusalem. Now when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is, unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other things which they have received and hold, like the washing of cups, pitchers, copper vessels and couches. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? And he answered them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honours me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers and cups, and many other such things you do. He said to them, All too well you reject the commandment of God, that you may keep your tradition. For Moses said, Honour your father and your mother. He who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, If a man says to his father or mother, Whatever profit you might have received from me is korban, that is a gift to God then you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother, making the word of God of no effect through your tradition, which you have handed down, and many such things you do. When he had called all the multitude to himself, he said to them, Hear me, everyone, and understand. There is nothing that enters a man from outside which can defile him, for the things which come out of him, those are the things that defile a man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. When he had entered a house away from the crowd, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. So he said to them, Are you thus without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from outside cannot defile him? Because it does not enter into his heart, but his stomach, and is eliminated, thus purifying all things. And he said, What comes out of a man, that defiles a man. For within, from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. Amen. We end our reading there. We thank God that he blesses us when we read his truth. <coughs> Folks, there are some people who believe that the phrase cleanliness is next to godliness 
comes from the Bible. It doesn't come from the Bible. Apparently it was first used in a sermon by John Wesley in 1778, but it's not found anywhere in Holy Scripture. However, in our day, we know a fair deal about cleanliness, don't we? We have to wash our hands uh, for as long as it takes to sing happy birthday three times. We're very used to sanitizing our hands on the way into a shop or even as we come into church. Cleanliness has become second nature to us. It's become natural to us over the last 14 months. And there's good reason. Washing your hands has been shown to significantly lower the level of infection in a community. It's even had an impact on the normal seasonal flus and colds. Those have been reported in much lower numbers than in previous years. But there's a reason why it brings down the infection rate. And the reason is that there's something out there. There's something out there in the atmosphere. It's in the air. It's on people's clothes. And yes, it gets on people's hands. The coronavirus is out there. And if it gets from the surfaces inside of us, it can make us very unwell. Washing your hands, well, that removes the infection. And it stops the, the infection from getting into your body and making you sick. With coronavirus, there's something that can enter into you and make you unwell. Our passage today is also about cleanliness. It's about being made clean. But it's about being made clean from something far more deadly than the coronavirus. It's about being made clean from sin. What we're going to see is that being infected with sin is not like being infected with coronavirus because with coronavirus there's something out there and we need to keep it out. It will make us sick if we let it in. But with sin, the problem is in here. The problem is in our hearts. Cleaning a heart is not the same as cleaning your hands. It's been famously said that the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. Now that's not found in the Bible either, but it is a very true statement. The big question of our passage today is one of the big questions of the Bible. How can a sinful person be made righteous in the sight of a holy God? How can we be made clean? We have two points today. First, looking at the Pharisees and scribes. How did they think to be made clean before God? And then we'll look at the truth of the matter by thinking about what Jesus himself says. Let's begin with the Pharisees and scribes. We saw last week that Jesus can walk on the waves, but he's also making waves in the religious scene in Israel. And the high Hagians who are down in Jerusalem, well, they've noticed it. And they've sent a group up to investigate what Jesus is teaching. What is he doing? What's he teaching? And this is a continuation of, of a conflict we've already seen between Jesus and the religious leaders of the day. If you have your Bible there in front of you, you can see that these men go straight on the attack. Verse 5, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread and wash hands? 
Now Mark gives us a helpful little summary of what's going on in verses 3 and 4. Remember, Mark is written for Roman Christians, uh, Gentile Christians, and so Mark often explains the Jewish practices that we might not understand. But it is important to understand what's going on. It's key to understanding the Pharisees' approach to unclean hearts. Mark tells us the Pharisees, and indeed he says all the Jews, by which he doesn't mean every single person, but all of the groups within Judaism. They wash their hands in a certain way before eating, holding to the tradition of the elders. He goes on to say it's not just their hands, it's cups and bowls and even benches. And this phrase, the tradition of the elders, is what's really important. This is the way that the Pharisees use to control the people. They made up laws, they made up commandments, and they told the people these laws must be kept. And here we see them finding fault with the disciples for not keeping this tradition of the elders, a man-made law. These are not the law of God, they're the law of man. Now there is one place in the Old Testament where hand-washing is instructed, but it's for the priests in the temple. It's, it's nothing to do with washing your hands before you eat. Yet this Pharisee group from Jerusalem finds fault with the disciples because they do not wash their hands before they eat. They're imposing man-made rules, laws on the people, and it's all under the guise of religion. Well, you can see very clearly what Jesus thinks about this, verses 6 to 8. He answered them and said, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. As it is written, this people honours me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers and cups, and many other such things you do. See, the Pharisees thought they could be made right before God by cleaning up the outside. Jesus cuts right to the core of the matter. He quotes the Old Testament's condemnation of such people. Once again, the Pharisees and scribes who should know the Bible better than anyone, well, they're ignoring the Bible's teaching. Jesus is so sharp with them and he points out that they are following exactly the same pattern that God condemned in the days of Isaiah hundreds of years before. The Pharisees know better, but they're not doing better. In fact, I think what the Pharisees did was worse than simply ignoring the Bible. They were adding to the Bible. They were putting their own commands on the same level, in fact, higher than the law of God. Now, the church people get confused about this at times. As Christians, we are not against laws and commands. I think our affirmation of faith, as we work through the, the Ten Commandments, we, we learned that. We learned that we're not against commandments, so long as they're the commandments of God. The commandments of men are not on the same level. And not one of us can be made to feel that we must keep the commandments of men. Now there are laws of the land and we are bound as citizens of a country to keep them. That's not what our passage is talking about. It's talking about man-made laws 
in relationship. It's talking about human mm. beings making up things that we must or do, should do in order to be accepted by God. And no human being has the right to do that. Jesus calls the Pharisees hypocrites. He deals with them in the strongest of terms because any human being who makes up a command is claiming to be God. And that is serious business. Now before we move on, let's think about this. Making up human commandments and placing them on the same level as the commandments of God is called legalism. Legalism. And it's a dangerous practice. But it didn't stop with the Pharisees in the New Testament. It continued on in the Church of Christ. In a way, the Protestant Reformation of the 16th century could be said to be a reaction against how legalistic the Church of Rome had become. But I'm confident in saying that the Protestant Church still has legalism in it today. It might be important for each one of us to search our own hearts. Do we have any legalism in us? Are there barriers or requirements we might put in the way of people coming to faith? Things that the Bible doesn't say. Are there types of behaviour that we might expect that the Bible doesn't? One commentary I read this week spoke about a preacher in the American South who reeled against the evils of smoking and drinking, but then after the service sat down to consume vast amounts of barbecued meat. Doesn't the Bible condemn gluttony? in the same way it condemns drunkenness. But I think if we're honest, we probably all have a legalistic view when it comes to drink that we don't when it comes to food. You never even wondered where the minister got a bottle of wine for his children to dress. Let me give a more trivial example. What about the way we dress in church? A few weeks ago when I was on my leave and John McKee was preaching for us, I didn't wear a tie. But as I did the announcements, I felt the legalism of how I was dressed creep into my own head and heart. And I made a joke to try and justify myself. The Bible says nothing about wearing a tie in worship. Is it possible that I was adding something to the Word of God? I'm sure you can all think of things that we might add to God's Word, His commands. We all do it. We judge people. We do what the Pharisees did with the disciples. We find fault for people not holding to the commandments that we ourselves have made up. Doing that is very dangerous. Jesus calls it hypocritical. He rebukes it in the strongest terms. In verses 9 to 13, Jesus goes on to give an example of the danger of legalism. Because for the Pharisees, for these Pharisees, their commandments weren't just on a par with God, they believed theirs were more important than God's commandments. And Jesus demonstrates this. He, he says, we know the fifth of the Ten Commandments. Honour your father and mother. But the Pharisees, you see, had made a loophole. They made a loophole to get around that commandment. They said it was possible for a son to hold back from helping his elderly parents by claiming that his property and possessions and money had been made korban, and that means devoted to God. Now simply by making this claim, the son could refuse to help his parents. His stuff wasn't for them, it was for God. But then, 
by allowing for a very broad interpretation of what it means to devote something to God, the man would be able to spend the money however he wanted. And so you see the danger of legalism. The Pharisees destroy the word of God, and it's not by taking things away, it's by adding their own rules and regulations on top of God's word. Jesus says they make God's word of no effect because of their man-made laws and traditions. Now again, it's not that tradition is bad, but there can be traditions which cause damage to the cause of the gospel. There can be traditions which are mere human inventions, and they seem to destroy the word of God. Sometimes deliberately, sometimes not. I want you to listen to this passage, or sorry, this section from R.C. Sproul's commentary on this passage. R.C. Sproul says, In some groups, Christian piety is defined as refraining from wearing lipstick, dancing, going to the movies, playing cards, and so forth. In one sense, when these kind of regulations are established, Authentic righteousness is not simply obscured, it is discounted. Say it again. Authentic righteousness is not simply obscured, it is discounted. After all, he says, it is easier to refrain from wearing lipstick than displaying pride. It is easier to stop going to the movies than to start loving one's enemies. He says, all, we all have to do what we can to seek the righteousness that God's law sets forth without worrying about petty issues. Friends, we have to be careful. It is all too easy to fall into the trap of being Pharisees. It's all too easy to worship God with our lips, but our hearts are far from him. We have to be careful not to fall into legalism. The Pharisees thought, this was how a person could be made right with God. But Jesus correctly points out, it does the entire opposite of that. It is important for us each to diligently study the scriptures, to dig into God's word and learn what it is teaching us. And we are bound by God to keep the things that God's word requires of us. Everything else is a matter for each person to decide personally. This is what the Westminster Confession of Faith says about interpretation of Scripture. It says the whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for his own glory, man's salvation, faith and life, is either expressly set down in Scripture or, by good and necessary consequence, may be deduced from Scripture, unto which nothing at any time is to be added whether by new revelations of the Spirit or traditions of men. So, we've seen how the Pharisees tried to deal with the problem of sin in the human heart. It was their practice to, to clean what's on the outside. But Jesus points out clearly and unequivocally that doesn't work. So as we return to the second section of our passage, we see Jesus' teaching about sin. But we can easily see why cleaning the outside of the cup makes no difference. Because it's the dirt that's on the inside. Jesus withdraws away from the Pharisees. He turns his attention to the crowds of people. He explains to them the problem of the human heart. Verse 15, 
Jesus says, there is nothing that enters a man from outside which can defile him. But the things which come out of him, those are the things that defile a man. Now often in our day we hear people say that people are born good and corrupted from outside influences. Maybe it's the influence of the television or the internet. How often is the bad behaviour of a child attributed to the company they keep? Now it's no doubt important to be careful about what you consume on the TV and the internet. It's important to keep good company. But here, in this section of Mark, Jesus is very, very clear that human beings are not an empty bucket that will be filled with either goodness or badness. Human sinfulness already exists in human hearts, in all human hearts. Because of the fall of sin of Adam and Eve, human beings are born in sin. David says as much in Psalm 51, he's speaking for all humanity when he says, I was brought forth in iniquity. In sin, my mother conceived me. This is the doctrine of total depravity. And it's what Jesus teaches here in Mark 7. Jesus explains things even more thoroughly, even more clearly to the disciples when they're alone together, away from the crowd. In rather earthy terms, Jesus explains that the things that go into a person, well, those things come out again. He's making a point that ceremonial food laws of the Hebrew people, well, those are past, those are over with. Jesus is saying the heart is not made more or less sinful because of a person eating a piece of bacon. He's saying the human heart is sinful by its very nature of being a human heart. All hearts are sinful. We've inherited sin from our parents. A child does not need to learn sinful behaviour. They're born selfish. The heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. So for anybody who thinks that Jesus didn't really talk about sin, here we have a list. A list of 13 sins which Jesus says come out, come from within, out of the heart of men. So Jesus is very different from the Pharisees. When it comes to dealing with the problem of sin and the question, how can a sinful person be made righteous in the sight of a holy God? The Pharisees said, give yourself a bath, make yourself clean on the outside. Jesus says that won't do. Because you are only dirty on the outside because of what's on the inside. A wrong and sinful heart. Filled with evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. Friends, that's where our passage ends today. It ends with the condemnation of every single one of us. We are all guilty of these sins. Some are more guilty than others, and as we know, some sins are more heinous than others, but the point remains. Every one of us has broken the law of God because of what we have in our hearts. Human beings have hearts which love to sin and do not love God. Now, if you think I'm trying to make you feel guilty today, I'm not. God's word is, you and I are guilty. God's word condemns us today. 
it's important for us to realize this. It's important to know how sinful we are, that we are totally depraved. We are depraved in every part of our being, not as sinful as we might be, but totally sinful in our soul, our strength, our heart, our mind. This is one of the reasons we have a prayer of confession every Sunday. As we come into worship, we come with sin in our hearts. We come with things to confess to God. None of us can go from one week to the next without sinning. But while our passage finishes there today, I can't. I need to let you know the good news that follows the bad. I'm a minister of the gospel. I can't leave it unsaid. But haven't we already heard the good news today? What is it that immediately follows our prayer of confession? Every Sunday, we hear God's assurance of pardon. And this week's assurance of pardon is randomly chosen. I've chosen it to fit with our passage today. Our passage tells us that our hearts are sinful, filled with sin. The way Jesus puts it would imply that sin is just pouring out. You know, it's, it's like those 12 baskets of leftovers after the feeding of the 5,000. An abundance of sin in our hearts. But listen again to our assurance of pardon from God's word. For all those who are trusting Christ, God says... I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Through his death on our behalf, in our place, for our sin, Jesus gives us a new heart. A heart of flesh. A heart that loves God and loves his commandments. A heart that lives for him. The heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. How can a sinful human be made right before a holy and just God? How can we be made clean? Well, we can't clean it with water. We can't clean our hearts with water. We must be cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Praise God that through Jesus, he removes our hearts of stone and gives us hearts of flesh. Let's pray together.